Jesus said, I do not pray for these alone, but also for all who would believe through them, believe in me through them. And then he goes on to say in verse 20, or verse 21, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. And that they all may be one in us, that the world might believe that you sent me. The theme that the elders have selected for this year is based on this passage in John chapter 17, verses 20 and 21. In this passage, we have, uh, well, this summary statement that is made. God wants us to be one so that the world might be one to Christ. And it'll never happen any other way. Jesus says in this passage, you need to be united. And through that unity, maybe the world will believe that I am the Christ. And so our unity, the way that we get along here at Carnes, the way that we interact with each other, the way that we deal with confrontation and, and disagreements and those things that will inevitably come up. Listen, we're a church of 350 folks here. We have different ideas about a lot of different things, about methodologies and ways to do things, and, and everybody has their opinion, and their opinion is good, or they wouldn't hold it. But in the midst of all that diversity of thought, we've got to be one. And without being one, the world will never be one. When I was in college, I did a summer internship with a uh, church in in Michigan. And uh, the day I arrived, I had no idea how big the church was or anything. I had interviewed with some guys and uh, the elders there, and, and I accepted the work, and I went up there. And I pulled up in front of this huge church building. Um, it was one of the bigger buildings that I, biggest buildings that I had ever seen at that time. It probably seated about a thousand, fifteen hundred people, something along that line. And uh, the first Sunday that I was there, I noticed that all the back pews were roped off. And uh, everybody just kind of, if you can imagine like everybody sitting in the first five rows here and none of the the rest of the seats being used, it, that would be kind of, you know, it would kind of take you back. And what I learned is that at one time they filled that building. They built that building to accommodate their needs, which were that great, but they had a fallen out. And some people disagreed with other people in the congregation and they couldn't bring a resolution. And so several hundred people left and went to another congregation. And those that were left were only a couple hundred folks. And uh, so that's who I worked with that summer. I went back to visit a few years later and that couple hundred people had since divided and they're living in, and, and they're worshiping and working out of this huge edifice. And there's just a few people. When you walk in, the first thing that comes to your mind is, what are these few people doing in a building of this size? And it wasn't but a couple years later that those brethren just disbanded, gave up, and the building was left abandoned. That was a congregation that at one time had a thousand members serving that community 
trying to reach out to people in that community to introduce them to Jesus, but because of their disunity, it all collapsed. That's the importance of being one. And that's what Jesus calls us to do. In Matthew chapter 12 and verse 25, do you remember on that occasion, uh, Jesus was accused of uh, casting out demons by the power of the devil. And he said, that's utter ridiculous. Uh, utterly ridiculous. I mean, there's no way. That, that doesn't even make sense. A house divided against itself, it, it can't stand. Uh, To say that I'm casting out demons by the power of the devil is just ridiculous because I'd be working against myself. Jesus said a house divided against itself cannot stand. Uh, How I wonder how many soldiers marching in the army of the Lord have been shot by friendly fire, have become casualties of war, not from the enemy, but from their own brethren. You know, uh, you know what? The, being involved in warfare, there's always friendly fire. There, it may be minimalized uh, today because of all the technology that we have. Uh, maybe greater during World War II days when they did bombing, not so precisely, and those kind of things. But it still happens. Uh, there are men who are mistakenly thought to be the enemy and and killed by what we call friendly fire. I think it happens in churches. I think brothers and sisters turn on each other and destroy the faith and overturn the faith of their brethren without the world, the outside, ever being a part of it. That's not what the Lord calls for. In fact, that's what Jesus, in John chapter 17, we we say, you know, Matthew chapter 6, that's, you know, the Jesus prayer, uh, the, the model prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That, that's really not Jesus' prayer. That's one that Jesus told others to pray and taught them how to pray. But the prayer of Jesus is John 17. He begins by praying for himself. And then he shifts to pray for his hand-selected disciples. And then by the time you get to the end, he's praying for those who would believe in him through the disciples' words. And that would be me, that would be you. That's how we come to faith in Jesus. We've never heard him or seen him ourselves, but we come to that faith through reading and listening to the words that were left by his followers. So Jesus prayed for us. And and to think that Jesus prayed a prayer for me, that that's pretty pretty humbling. But that's exactly what he says. You see, he said in chapter 20, or chapter 17, verse 20, I don't pray for these alone, his immediate disciples, but I'm also praying for those who believe in me through their word. That's you and me. That they may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they may be one in us, that the world might believe that you sent me. I want us to talk about unity. This is the theme for this year. And I, I like it. I, I think it does two things. It, it takes care of business here inside this building and, and our interpersonal relationships. And it also gets us outside of the building, reaching out to the lost. One 
that the world might be one. That is a, well, a much needed theme to consider and to weigh and to be reminded of throughout the year. And it, and it hits us on two fronts. On our unity in the body of Christ, our efforts toward that, our internal efforts, but as well as our external outreach. And so let's talk about that just for a little bit this morning. The importance of unity. Uh, let me, let me give you, a, this is why Jesus said, listen, I'm praying that y'all be one. One is because it promotes belief. Jesus said that himself. If you're not one, the world's not going to believe. If you are one, the world might believe that you sent me. I wonder what the world must think. Those who don't believe in Jesus or haven't come to a faith in Jesus, and they look and they see churches on every corner of every town, and they all teach different doctrines, divided up by different names, practicing different things, all competing for the souls of those people in the community. And I wonder what that does to a prospective believer. These people say they're followers of Jesus. They say they're disciples of Christ. They say they're Christians. And they can't even get along well enough to worship together. They have to have a building over here and a building over here. And they have to call themselves by different names. And they practice different things. They believe different things. This doesn't sound like anything I'd want to be a part of. Jesus knew how disunity could affect his mission And so he prayed for unity. Unity will promote belief and acceptance of Jesus. It will also empower us. I'll tell you, uh, if I went out in the parking lot and decided I was going to pick up the back end of one of those cars, I couldn't do it. But if y'all would go help me, I could. You know, we could turn a car sideways if we wanted to. But it takes more than one. And there's strength in unity. There are things that we can do together that we could never begin to do by ourselves. That's the power of unity. Ecclesiastes 4 and verse 12 says, you know, a threefold strand is not easily broken. You know how you take twine and, or, or if you take some thin thread or something and you see it's spun and it's wrapped around, it's several. If you take each individual piece apart, You can snap that, but when you take it together and have it wound together into a cord, you can't break it. There's strength in that unity, in that togetherness, and that's why Jesus says, I want you to be one. And it's also necessary in order to function as the body of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 12 and also in Romans 12, he he describes the church as the body of Christ. And I really like that. And we need to think more in line of that sometimes because, you know, Jesus came to this earth and he was God in flesh and blood. And he showed us what God was like. He talked like God would talk. He he went to people and ministered to them in ways that God would do it if, if God were here, because he was here. He said, he did, he ministered, acted and reacted just like the God of heaven would react, because he was God in the flesh. But now Jesus isn't here anymore. And so how is the world going to know what God is like? Well, there are two things they can do. They can pick up their Bible 
and read about Jesus and see what God is like, but a lot of people haven't yet done that. And as Paul told the Corinthian brethren, you know, you're the living epistle that some people read. And and the other way is that they look to followers of Jesus. They look to the body of Christ. Jesus' body isn't here anymore, but his body is here. This is the body of Christ. And by looking at what we do and how we behave and how we react to people and how we interact with each other, that's letting people see Jesus even today. When I speak the things he would speak, when I use my hands to minister in the way that Jesus would minister, when I allow my feet to take me where the feet of Jesus would have taken him, people are seeing Jesus through us as the body of Christ. But here's the way a body works. The eye doesn't do what the hand does. And the hand doesn't do what the foot does. It it all serves different. There are different parts, but they all work toward the unity of the body. I I had an abnormal psychology class on one occasion. Kim was in that class in college. And we were doing case studies of different uh, abnormal brain functions, and I remember in particular that there was this, a man who would dress in the morning, and while he was buttoning his shirt with one hand, his other hand would unbutton it, and it took him hours to get ready, because there was this divide in his own brain, and what he was trying to accomplish with one hand, he was trying to undo with the other hand. Can you imagine trying to function that way. I'm telling you, it's no different in the body of Christ. When we have brethren working for the good of the church, and then we have brethren that are trying to undo the good that others are doing, it's disruptive. We, we can't function as a body unless there's unity, unless there's oneness. Well, how can all of us get to get along together and how can we all be united? I mean, there's, there, you know, we, I, we can't even be united politically. I dare say there's people in three different parties here today. Um, how are we going to be united in Christ? We don't even like the same football teams. You know, some of you are wrong about that. And I, I, I'm patient, uh, but I can only be patient so long. Uh, but how do we deal with those kind of differences? We, we have really strong feelings about certain things and we're different about those things. Is it possible really to be unity, uh, to be unified? Well, think about this and I want you to give thought to this. <clears throat> Among the disciples of Jesus was a man by the name of Simon. He was a zealot. He was one of the hand-selected apostles of Jesus. And a zealot, uh, Luke chapter 6 and verse 15, a zealot was one who was, oh, they were against Roman domination. They were against Rome's involvement in Israel. They they saw it as a religious assault, affront to the the reign of God. We have no, no business submitting to Roman authorities. We're the children of God, and God is our master, not Rome. And these zealots were zealous, thus the name. Uh, Many of them were zealous to the point of open rebellion 
murder, uh, going into the homes of people that they suspected to be sympathizers with with uh, the Romans and putting them to death, executing them as traitors, zealots. That's one of the guys that Jesus chose to be one of his apostles, Simon the Zealot. But don't forget, there was also Matthew the publican. A publican was a tax collector working for Rome. He's on their side. He's given over, the zealots would say. He's helping them take our money and pay taxes to, to a power that shouldn't even be here. How in the world, have you ever wondered about, have you ever thought about these group, this band of brothers walking through the highways and the byways with Jesus? Do you ever think that Matthew and Simon ever had any discussions? Do you ever think they had any back and forth, give and take about this? How in the world could Matthew and Simon get along together? Because they had a greater cause than just their political agenda. Jesus. And brethren, if we can't put aside whatever it is that we feel passionate about in deference to the agenda of Jesus, then we need to do some self-evaluation. Nothing that you're passionate about in the, passionate about in this life should rival the fellowship and the brotherhood and the oneness that we should have in Christ Jesus. We need to be one. Can it be done? Well, just look at Jesus. He did it. He called men that were so naturally opposed to each other and they worked side by side as brothers in the cause of Christ. We can do it as well. In Isaiah chapter 11, verses 6 through 9, Isaiah is talking about the time when the kingdom of God would come into this world and make its entrance. And he was trying to describe the nature of this kingdom. Oh, it's unlike any other kingdom. A child will be able to stick his hand in in a cobra's den and not be bitten. He said a lion will lie down with a lamb and the lamb will be okay. People and things that are naturally in opposition to one another will in this new kingdom be at peace. That's the nature in a figurative way. That's what God's trying to teach us, that in the kingdom of God, people who have warring backgrounds and warring natures can come together and be one in the body of Christ. You know... The world, our culture, our society, they may just kind of divide off between black and white. Not in the body of Christ. Those natural distinctions that, that exist in the world, they don't exist in Jesus. Prejudices between men and women that exist in the world, chauvinism and feminism, those things don't exist in the body of Christ. We're one in Christ. And and so, yeah, it, it can be done. It's the nature of the kingdom. And when we allow differences, again, to keep us apart, to keep us from being one in fulfilling the agenda of Jesus, we're in the wrong. 
we've forgotten what God expects of his kingdom and of his citizens. So how do we do it? Let me give you about four things that we need to do that will help us to achieve and maintain unity. First thing, and if you have your Bible, open it to Ephesians chapter 4, the reading that was just made. But the first thing is you've got to have a right attitude. In Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul, as he gives that statement about all those ones, if you back up to the first part of that, which we often uh, don't pay as much attention to, he says, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering and bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. We have to have the right mind. We have, to ha- we have to have the right head about us. I need to be patient, long-suffering, forbearing. Uh, and when I'm not those things, we won't have unity. I have to have the right attitude. I have to come into it with the right mindset. I, I can't come into it with a bad attitude to begin with. So that's the first thing. Second thing is, I think we need to give up our ease. Look at what it says in verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. You know what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 9? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. But I want you to notice something. He didn't say blessed are the peacekeepers. He said blessed are the peacemakers. Makers. They're people who work to achieve, not just maintain, but to achieve unity and peace. We have to give up our ease in order to do that. You see, when I see conflict, I can just turn my head and say, hey, well, you know, it's not me, it's them, let them work it out. I hope they can work it out. And I, and I just run from it. I, 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 we can't run from conflict. We can't be content with division in the body of Christ. If we're to be one so that the world may be one, we're going to have to just say, I don't really enjoy this, but I've got to get involved. I need to to enlist my services in trying to bring about peace. I am to endeavor, give diligence to maintain and to attain peace in the body of Christ. We're going to have to give up our pride. If we want unity, we're going to have to say, it's not about me. And man, that's hard to do. Because I want everything to fall my way. I want decisions that are made to to accommodate what I prefer to be done. And when those things don't fall my way, boy, it's just so easy to take my ball and go home. But that's not the unity of the Spirit. We need to give up our pride. Not everything is about you. There are other people involved. And what may good be good for you isn't good for five other people. And so give deference other. Your way is not, even though you might think it is, your way is not always the best way. Other minds may say elsewise. We need to be willing to give up <clears throat> and to make compromises. Romans chapter 14 is an interesting chapter because in it he talks about things that really have nothing to do with the kingdom of God, but they were used as points of division in the body of Christ. Can you eat this or that? Can you drink this or that? What, what about these foods? And 
And Paul said, the kingdom of God is not in what you eat. That's not the issue. And I'm telling you, though, if a person is weak and they have scruples about that, I'm never going to eat again. Not, not this stuff that, that bothers them. Because we're brothers. We're trying to go to heaven. And as long as they're still uneducated about this issue, I will forbear. He compromised. There was a truth on the matter. Meats meant nothing. That's the truth on the matter. But he was willing to say, until people understand that truth, I'm going to accommodate them. And we need to have that willingness to accommodate those who are weak in the faith. Will we destroy our brother for whom Jesus died because I'm sticking my feet and my heels in the ground demanding my rights? It's not right. And then if we're to have the church to be united, we've got to see the bigger picture. Matthew 16 and verse 26 it says, what shall it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? I know I've written an article about this, and I may have shared this from the pulpit with you as well, but I want to share it again because I'm sure not everybody has heard it. But I had a friend, I have a friend who lives in Nigeria. He came to the States, studied, learned uh, the Bible so that he could go back to his home and preach to a highly Muslim population. And while we were talking on one occasion, we were talking about some of the problems that we see in the brotherhood and, and some of the disunity that exists. And he said, um, it's like when two elephants fight. It's the grass that suffers. And, you know, I'd never put it that way myself because, you know, I don't have experience with elephants, but I could understand what he's saying. You see, those elephants may be big enough and bad enough to scrap with each other and wrestle around and fight, and they can walk away unharmed. But what about the grass? What about all those things that get stomped on? That that suffers. And I think there's a lesson for us in the church with reference to how to attain and maintain unity. We've got to see the big picture. I, I may choose to scrap it out with one of you. I may choose to dig in my heels and you dig in your heels and we'll just get ugly with each other and we'll fuss and carry on this thing and try to undermine each other and hurt each other and, and rally people on our side and you rally them on your side and, and we can carry that on for a good while and we may be big enough to manage it. But what about all the people that we're affecting? What about everybody that gets disillusioned as they see such rancor and hatred? among those who claim to be disciples of Jesus. We may be okay, we think, but what are we doing to others? If we want the body of Christ to be effective, if we want the world to be one with a W, we have to be one with an O. May we accept the challenge that the elders have given us this year. It's outlined in our workbook that our plan of work that was passed out last week. But let's work and let's use that specific focus of being maybe one. Let's use that and think about that more so than maybe we would have originally. Let's work.
even harder this year to maintain and to achieve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And at the end of the day, heaven and hell may be what hangs in the balance in our pursuit of this. The world will either be won or lost by our conduct, or we ourselves may be saved or lost by our conduct. We need to be one, united. Let's take that to heart. Let's work on Listen, I am, I am so glad to be a part of a congregation that loves Jesus supremely. I'm glad to be a part of a congregation that, that where people willingly shed their own opinions, their own ideas, where they're willingly able to lay down and compromise in matters not of faith, but in matters of opinion and, and uh, function in order to see to it that the body of Christ remains united. It, it is such a blessing for all of us to exist in such a place. But if we're not careful, we can lose that. We need to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. I can tell you of a congregation I went to visit and preach for, and uh, again, they had a rather large building. There were 22 people there that morning. And so I met with the man after church, and I said, where was everybody? And one of the men said, well, this is all we got now. I said, but how did you get this great big building? And, and they said, well, I'll just tell you how it is. We have uh, fought and fussed with each other to the point that we can't tolerate ourselves and our outreach is zero because the world knows how we behave. What a sad commentary on a church. We're the body of Christ. We're trying to live and and exhibit the life of Jesus on the earth today. We're, We're trying to be His hands and His mouthpiece and and minister and show compassion. And if we fail at that, what hope is there for the world? Let's be one. Let's give attention to that. And through our unity, the world can be one. If you're here this morning, you're not yet a child of God, why don't you obey the gospel? Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. If you haven't done that, He'll keep His promise if you'll just do what He asks. If you're a child of God already but unfaithful and you want the prayers of your brethren, we'll pray with you if you'll come as we stand together and sing.